Hello and welcome to Beckett Talks, the podcast series from Leeds Beckett University. In these podcasts, we will be showcasing our diverse community of students and academics, touching on the important themes that surround universities today. Hello there, I'm Shona Hunter, reader in the Carnegie School of Education here at Leeds Beckett University. I'm talking today with my colleague Christy van der Westen-Husen, who's Associate Prof at Canrad at Nelson Mandela University, South Africa. I'm going to hand over to um, Christy for her to give a little bit more of an introduction to herself in a moment. But today we'll be talking about themes and issues from the first Routledge International Handbook in Critical Studies in Whiteness that um, Christy and I have just finished editing a big 500 page tome Um, but we'll be talking about the themes and issues more than kind of the book itself but the stuff that comes up in that okay so Christy I'll kind of hand over to you yes Shana great to be here with you and after a very long slog of several years we we've reached this wonderful moment where we can actually introduce the uh, our international handbook in critical studies and whiteness published with Routledge uh, to to a wider audience and and multiple publics, ultimately, given both our work in various uh, sectors, also outside of the university. So I am an associate professor, as you mentioned, and also senior researcher based at the Centre for the Advancement of Non-Racialism and Democracy at Nelson Mandela University in South Africa. I'm also a former associate professor in sociology at the University of Pretoria, and and I was attached to the Institute for Humanities in Africa at the University of Cape Town uh, before that. So my area uh, of of research interest, uh, just to uh, frame my own approach to to this handbook uh, before we we speak about yours, Shona, basically uh, discourse, ideology, identities and democracy, particularly uh, mostly with a focus on intersectional constructions of white Afrikaner, white English-speaking and black identities in South Africa. And I'm particularly interested in in the mobilization of African and Afrikaner nationalisms historically in in our context in response to British imperialism as uh, as English nationalism writ large. So I'm interested in how democratization in South Africa's constitution with its unusual emphasis on human dignity as a central value have opened possibilities towards the actualization of racial, gender, sexual and class justice. And as part of this quest, I've written a a few monographs. Uh, The first was White Power and the Rise and Fall of the National Party in 2007, where I did more of a macro analysis, homing in on class and capitalism in understanding uh, continuing inequities of colonialism into the post-apartheid era in South Africa. And then decided that, you know, the class analysis uh, only takes you so far. And I wanted to draw down and, and further investigate subject formation specifically and take it down to the level of subjectivation. And that I did with my monograph, Sitting Pretty White Afrikaans Women in Post-Apartheid South Africa, that was published in 2017. So bringing in the, an analysis through discourse and ethic and also looking at these identities at uh, at the intersections of race, class, sexuality and gender. And then uh, similar to you, I'm, I'm very... Uh, concerned with getting uh, academic thinking and intellectual analysis, well, firstly, to make it relevant to the issues and challenges that we face as as human beings on this planet and actually as living beings, among other living beings on this planet. And therefore, I'm a a regular public uh, commentator and I also contribute regularly to TV 
radio, online and print media uh, on questions of the day that, that relate to my research interests. So that's me. Thanks, Christy. Um, it's really interesting to hear you speak from where you start off in relation to this issue um, of whiteness, because I think this is one of the important commonalities between kind of our backgrounds and our work. So much of the work um, on whiteness as an identification, as a set of practices and as a set of relationships that are about kind of race and race power tend to come from that kind of position of looking at white identities. Whereas I think you and I both look at it from um, the perspective of politics, political analysis, institutions, how they work, democratic processes. So for us and for myself and in relation to my own work, um, I'm interested in whiteness as an orientation to power and as an orientation to institutional power. And so my background in relation to these issues and more generally um, is in policy analysis. And so that's kind of where I started off. So that interest translates into this understanding of whiteness and similar to you. Also, I've written around states, nations, democratic processes, but how they're actually lived in terms of institutional practice. So my own research tends to look at how identities actually come to be through political processes that are lived in everyday institutional practices. So the people that I speak to when I speak to them about how whiteness works, um, or whiteness at work, <laughs> indeed, um, are people like medics, nurses, um, chief executives, officers in organisations, um, all of that sort of bag really. And I'm interested in the ways that whiteness intersects with power. So how it's an identification with power, but it's not necessarily an essential racial position. One of the things that the handbook does and that my own work does is try and unpack what it means for whiteness to appear as though it is a racial reality, but to be actually a kind of fantasy manifestation, really, that we operate through in the world. So, um, and all of my publications and writing and kind of past work, past positions in different institutions kind of speak to that, really. My institutional background is really interdisciplinary. So at the moment, I'm based in the School of Education, as we've already said, but I've worked in arts contexts, in sociology contexts, in geography contexts, in cultural studies, you name it, pretty much I've, I've worked in it. Um, because most of those disciplinary locations have an interest in power and dominance, which is um, which relates to our interest in whiteness. So Christy and I were thinking it might be interesting to talk to you a little bit about how we met. I mean, we've known one another in different kind of ways now. We were working out the other the other day for um, about 10 years. At least a decade, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So which... Uh, so slow now, I have to say. <laughs> it has, and it also places us age-wise a little bit. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I um, was attached to, well, I've been attached to multiple universities out in South Africa over since 2010, actually, which is when Christy and I were thinking that we met. But the, the first point that we remember speaking to one another was at the first conference on whiteness in 
in the context of South Africa at the University of Johannesburg. It was called Whitewash, wasn't it, Christy? So, um, uh, yeah, it was an interesting conference. It was very much a conference that was located in the South African context. And so from my position as somebody working in the context of the global north, which I think is, in, is an important kind of aspect to our handbook and to our work, it was very interesting to see how a conference specifically designed to think about whiteness works and kind of played out in a context like South Africa, where, of course, the majority population is is black. So, um, Christy, I don't know whether you can remember whether you've got memories of that conference that you want to share. So, yes, that's where we met. And it was actually it was an interesting moment uh, because, as you said, it was the first whiteness mm. conference held in South Africa. And what was interesting is that you could see some of those contestations coming to the fore immediately. Um, uh, well, academics like to also argue, but we had uh, some journalists also uh, who were part of the event. And it was interesting, there was, uh, as you say, and this is something that, that you and I share strongly, is that we're interested in power and the operations of power, how power is is mobilized in various uh, modalities, hence the interest in whiteness. Uh, for me, I'm also interested then also in heteronormativity. So what we saw at that conference was, was really uh, that kind of contestation that comes up and it was quite interesting to see sort of, so this evolve of, of any kind of, of critical analysis of, of whiteness basically suggesting that to to analyze um, whiteness is to re-entrench it. And I, and I think that's not in itself an invalid criticism. And then uh, we had an interesting situation where a scholar that has written on whiteness then immediately followed suit and also disavowed the critical study of, of whiteness. So, yeah, so it, was, it was one of those, um, well, probably a typical academic moment, you know, where, where people sort of swap positions as they're trying to read the political lie of the land. But I, I still regard whiteness as a, as a very important area of study for myself, but, but particularly because of the ways that it has been operationalized in South Africa and, and, and continues to be. And, and of course, we're interested also in the longevities of whiteness in a situation where white people as a group of, you know, or, a, or a minority grouping in a country where uh, black people hold the political power. So that, that brings up a whole different set of questions uh, around, around whiteness. And maybe I should just add here that so, so part of what we're trying to criticize in this handbook is what can be called the whiteness industry, which uh, one can see in well, various books that come out that are akin to the, to the diversity industry, one could say. And um, there's a kind of a decomplexifying that, uh, process that happens um, with this kind of commercialization, one can almost say, and, um, and, and a kind of a flattening of, of the ideas, of, of, of many valid ideas that, that critical whiteness scholars have come up with, but that there's a kind of a flattening that happens in this commercialization process, uh, you know, as, as kind of a commodification that, that happens. And we uh, identified uh, three kinds of whiteness or white positions, one could say, that we are uh, writing against. And these are hand-wringing whiteness, best whiteness, and essential whiteness, which we all regard as working to recenter whiteness, despite stated aims to do the opposite. Hand-wringing whiteness for us refers to overly self-conscious frequently autobiographical writing and other performances of awakenings to whiteness. 
which is a very popular form. And that's in, in a sense that, particularly as an academic who, who's, who's supervising students, it's sort of interesting to see how white students frequently step step forward because they would actually love to write a, a dissertation about themselves, but then they, <laughs> they cloak it as a as an academic study uh, in critical uh, whiteness, which it uh, ultimately is not. And it also speaks to that uh, postmodern narcissism that we, that we unfortunately, that is extremely rife at the moment, in this moment that we are finding ourselves in. Then there's best whiteness that refers to white subjects who, through uh, kind of hyper-individualization and enactments of self-immolation, signal a kind of a race traitorship uh, for an admission into an opportunistic politics of advancement of select black others. But uh, this is a process that leaves systemically unequal power relations otherwise intact. And then the last position that we criticize is, um, or that we seek to problematize is essential whiteness, where the politics of subjects is red or skin pigmentation and phenotype. And racialization as white is rendered a, a political and even ontological dead end that obviates any possibility for ethical existence or of interracial solidarities. Um, the whole notion that whiteness is essential to, to their being and therefore they cannot pursue anti-racism. They cannot act in solidarity with people who have been racialized as other to whiteness. It's, it's a political dead end, but it, in some cases, in some discourses, it translates in, actually into an ontological dead end uh, for white people. And in the context where I find myself, this is, this is particularly um, striking, but, but one also sees it in other contexts. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So one of the things that's important, I think, about our collaboration is the fact that you're positioned in the global south and I'm positioned in the global north. And the kind of racialized dynamics of those societies are very different. So some of the issues that appear um, that are talked about more, I think, in the South African context. So even, for example, the issue of whiteness itself is much more readily kind of in the public discourse, I think, in the context of South Africa mm -hmm. than it is in some parts of the global north. And so one of the things in the English context, which has happened over the last kind of 10, 15 or so years, is that the this conversation about whiteness as a racialized positioning has become kind of much clearer in the public sphere and kind of many more people are aware that to be white is to be in a in a kind of racialized position or an in a position of power so the discussions in our context around power and privilege and they are kind of positioned in that way are just kind of starting to be mainstreamed i think and so this commercialization that you're talking about there christy in the context of south africa well, in all sorts of different national contexts, is just beginning to kind of happen in a particular sort of way in the English context. One of the things that um, that is probably different between our, our two contexts is the understanding, the kind of basic understanding of whiteness as a racialized positioning. So one of the texts that has been really important kind of setting that up and has become widely engaged with in the English context is Robin D'Angelo's work on white fragility and 
we'll maybe talk about that a little bit more later. But what D'Angelo's talking about there when she mentions this idea of white fragility is the fact that people who are racialized as white, who are positioned within a racialized hierarchy through whiteness, are often reticent to kind of recognising that as an identification or to recognising that conversations about race are important or even to recognising that daily activities which people coming from a minoritised position, a racially minoritised position in the English context would recognise as raced or as about racism aren't necessarily recognised in that way by people who are racialised as white. And so I think that basic kind of starting point is quite different in the two kind of contexts, but it's important to kind of recognise as a way into thinking about what our text is actually trying to do, because of course in the academic context, the debates have, have moved on in different sorts of ways. And this issue of the commercialization of whiteness and the appropriation of being anti-racist almost <laughs> um, as a response to this idea that people who are white don't want to talk about whiteness. So we so talking about whiteness helps us to be anti-racist is, is a position that we're actually trying to complexify in the volume. Because when we think about whiteness as a relationship to power, these issues of identity, how we identify, are we white? How does that position us within the relations of racialization and racism? And where does that position us in relation to anti-racism become very kind of sticky and much more complex and nuanced? And then from our point of view and the point of view of the handbook, that's overlaid, of course, or actually framed through relationships to coloniality. And so one of the things that, that our work does from my point of view anyway, and I think rightly from yours too, Christy, and certainly from the point of view of the handbook, is to extend conversations about, or, or kind of international conversations and interdisciplinary conversations about whiteness as a way to cut into an understanding of whiteness as only about white people or people that we imagine to be white as having as a specific relationship to the power dynamics of whiteness. So we're trying to nuance that through the debates in the handbook. No, and, and I think that uh, so that basically the re-historicization and re-spatialization of uh, understanding of the understanding of bodies and identities as part of a global colonial world system. That's been a very important thing for us in terms of approaching this handbook. And, and, and it's also reflected in the title, of course, we're really wanting to expand the field, but taking it to different places to where it has um, concentrated so far. And that's why we've, we've made the title Critical Studies in Whiteness as opposed to Critical Whiteness Studies. And uh, moving beyond the so-called, uh, there is a kind of a, one could say there's a sort of a canon of sorts that's taken shape. And, and we've taken it um, beyond that to, to, to open the field to, to scholars thinking from different disciplinary positions, but also different geographical um, locations. Uh, and that's to, to, to get through this, uh, what we regard as a parochialism of the field. We, we very much have um, white scholars from the global north writing mostly on, on whiteness and particularly in Anglo contexts. And uh, many other contexts are, are underrepresented in the literature. So we have particularly concentrated on bringing in black scholars, uh, scholars of color, and, and scholars from the global south 
to reflect on uh, on whiteness as this global phenomenon, but that's also got very specific local features, which uh, unfortunately gets erased or X'd out in many of the kind of sweeping statements that you find in uh, particularly the popular literature that emanates from the global north. I don't want to make a case for, for South African exceptionalism, but South Africa is an unusual settler state. And in that sense, uh, you can't easily transport the uh, insights on whiteness that may be extremely valuable in the in the American context, in the U.S. context, just to South Africa, lock, stock and barrel, and think you're going to understand what's going on here. And there is that kind of, uh, I would say, uh, intellectual laziness, uh, but there's also in the popular discourse, there's, a, there's a, an unwillingness to really complexify uh, you know, what, how whiteness um, reproduces itself in the South African context. But I, I would argue that even other settler states that have got more obvious similarities, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, with, with the states, similarities and differences, uh, that one should historicize and you should contextualize those studies. Of course, we can borrow and, and crib from one another in terms of certain insights that might be valuable. But for me, it's very important to then look at what's in front of you. What's it, what are the actual conditions for the emergence of uh, certain forms, uh, usually in the plural of whiteness over time, and, and to analyse that uh, critically. Yeah. Well, I think this more intricate historical kind of construction of whiteness and how it kind of comes to be associated with power and then how it comes to be associated with skin colour, which is really what we're talking about when we're talking about this idea that whiteness is a racial identification and it is like an identity, something that, that white people, these people that, we, that, that are racialised as white, kind of identify with um, is kind of where we actually start the volume off when we start it off in Goa. <laughs> so we have Aaron Saldana's chapter that looks at the point at which mercantile capitalism is kind of beginning and looks at how um, whiteness starts to get produced through the bodily, um, intimate, leisure interactions between these capitalists um, arriving in Goa and people who were already living in Goa. So he very interestingly sets up the theoretical positioning of the handbook, which really starts to get us to understand how whiteness gets attached to bodies, but how whiteness also doesn't necessarily always historically relate to power. That is something that has been constructed over time. So this relationship between whiteness, white identification, these people like you and I <laughs> who, who are white, um, you know, we, who we see as white and who have power because of how they are seen, um, how that relates to the kind of very intricate practices that relate back two, three, four hundred years historically. In one of the chapters in the section on um, colonialities, um, which is a section that I edited, which is about trying to think about the histories of coloniality and how that relates to the present day, um, more kind of complicatedly, we have Shafali Chandra's chapter, um, which looks at the construction between nationalism and US nationalism 
nationalism and, and how that occurs through um, particular kind of literary practices, actually, of key kind of figures who were writing about the nationalist position. So, um, yeah, so we've got all sorts of things there. I think this issue about history and spatiality, so the rehistoricizing and respatializing, or differently historicizing and differently spatializing, if you like, our understandings of whiteness um, is, is very important. And in the handbook, we do that very expansively um, so in terms of these big sweeps of history, but we also relate these things to very intricate day-to-day -day practices. You know, somebody like Javeria Shah is um, in the section of the book which deals with governmentalities, kind of looking at daily the daily experience of um, racialised minority minoritised people in the English context um, and how their whole experience of institutions, of education, of the police service is actually framed through the practices of whiteness. And those are, of course, historically and spatially constituted through these colonial global flows, really, of whiteness, which is a key kind of way in which we, we set up this idea of respatializing and rehistoricizing. So it's this idea, this this way of mapping, I suppose, not in a back to front way, but in a zigzagging way of our global colonial present and how that is constructed through whiteness and then how that relates to everyday practices. And of course, we've seen that globally during the pandemic with, you know, the visibilisation of um, uh, extrajudicial, unlawful killings, violent killings of black people actually by people in law enforcement. So, for example, with George Floyd, but of course we've seen many other examples of that over the course of the pandemic and of course historically in the recent history in the past. So, so really the handbook kind of gets into all of these different thematics and really present um, real experiences that we are all having, but it really tries to understand how whiteness as this orientation to power actually frames that in really really insidious ways so the global flows the relationships between nations the relationships between identifications institutions and all of these amazing things i'm thinking also of the japanese we have a a japanese contributor who is talking about the way again that whiteness becomes part of the lexicon in the Japanese kind of national nation building context and the way that that actually relates to the historical relationship between different imperialisms that were played. Yeah, Yasuko Takazawa. Yes, Yasuko Takazawa. Uh, and how that is playing out within the relationship between different imperial contexts and that whiteness and the relationship to the global north and the US again and these global flows bring whiteness into the Japanese context as an orientation to power. So those are some of those examples. The Carnegie School of Education offers distinctive and creative courses that are designed to respond to the changes taking place in society. The courses develop students' nurturing skills and equip them with the knowledge and expertise to make a difference to the lives of children and young people. The outstanding support offered to students helps build their career and develop their professional skills, 
with additional sessions that will set them apart in a competitive job market. The school's aim is to focus on the diverse skills required to create a generation of inspirational educators. So, if a career education interests you, whether you're starting out on your educational journey or wishing to progress professionally, go to leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash CSE for more information. So, Shana, I think we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because we haven't shared our structure of our handbook uh, with our listeners. We have six sections, and I'm going to hand over to you to share with our listeners um, the section um, on Unter epistemologies which is uh, section one yeah so um well we thought about framing really the whole of the volume um with our theoretical thinking that relates to this rethinking of the power dynamics of kind of whiteness um so this first section as christy said is called onto epistemologies theory against whiteness and it includes five really interesting articles, one of which I've already talked about, Aaron Saldana's on emerging whiteness in early modern India, which rethink really how whiteness works as a set of social relations and practices. So how whiteness comes to be historically through relationships, practices that are spatially and temporally dispersed often, but which are also part of our intimate daily life. And so we've got Aaron Saldana, as I've said, we've got Shireen Razak, who talks about whiteness, Christianity and anti-Muslim racism. We've got Catalin Halash, who talks about affects in white womanhood and in the body and white women's bodies. So how whiteness comes to be through the body. Finally, we've got Mark Schmidt, who's um, writing about what do cultural figurations know about global whiteness. And in that chapter, Mark is looking at the way in which culture also works as a set of material practices. So those are kind of the theoretical bases, really, for the volume as a whole. So I'll leave over to you, Christy. Okay, so that's uh, uh, section one. Um, and then section two, we're looking at what we call conspiracies. And this is basically uh, just a concept to try and make sense of the various ideologies that reinforce whiteness, or that can also be used to resist whiteness. So um, whiteness as a, as a position of, uh, and a construction of, of power draws on, um, on various kindred ideologies to advance particular ends towards, uh, you know, well, particularly to reinforce itself. And, and we're particularly interested in this section in um, the ideologies such as nationalism, anti-feminism, neo-fascism, post-feminism, liberalism, socialism, and of course, uh, Zionism. And one can see then, uh, with nationalism really featuring in a number of, of the chapters, one can see how whiteness can be operationalized by subjects who are not rationalized as white, in fact, and then also by subjects who are regarded as inhabiting an, a degraded whiteness, one could say. And uh, I'm, I'm, as I mentioned earlier on, Sitara Tubani gives us a very powerful analysis here of how the Hindu diaspora in the United States identifies with Trumpist white nation uh, rhetoric. Then Ashley Mateis looks at anti-feminism and how it bolsters the survival of fascism in Europe, but also in various settler states. 
And then we have Kinder Marston, which uh, it's a it's a wonderful chapter on how the British royal family works as a sign of of compulsory whiteness and how it's been reactivated as such a sign, the compulsory whiteness of of Britishness and particularly read here through the figure of Meghan Markle. And then we're ending off uh, looking at both liberalism and socialism, Mandisi and Mandavu, uh, looking, looking at how these two ideologies have engaged with race and racism and, uh, and basically arguing that they have worked to reassert white people's authority over black people. And then finally, Ilan Popeye, who is uh, building on his considerable scholarship to now take the critical study of whiteness to Zionism. It's, it's quite interesting to see how little has been done in this regard and to, in a sense, extend the critical study of whiteness so we can better make sense of the injustices uh, in, in Israel. Yeah, it's just it's so exciting, really, to think about, I think, the novel ways in which the authors that have kind of worked with us on this have brought things together, actually. And I think, you know, Ilan Pape's work, and I was also just reflecting, actually, as you were saying, on also Shireen Razak's work, you know, the work on Christianity, whiteness and anti-Muslim racism. You know, that's really important work also that's kind of very novel, pushing things forward at the moment in terms of the contexts and the globalities that, that are being brought to the fore there. So, yeah, part three then um, focuses on colonialities. So we kind of have rethought, as we said, the idea of spatiality and temporality. So our understanding of histories is really framed through this section on colonialities, because the histories that we're looking at in the volume and that the contributors are looking at are histories of coloniality. And so this the sorts of different historical manifestations of coloniality and how those intersect to produce global colonial whiteness in our current present is really what this section, this third section is bringing us to. And so we start off with Shafali Chandra's How Not to Become White. <laughs> We've already talked a little bit about this, but this is the way in which disavowal of Americanization and American coloniality and colonial kind of expression is a way of becoming a different sort of nationalism with a different sort of whiteness. So the construction of um, Americans as um, performing a problematic kind of form of whiteness. And we see that a lot in a lot of the chapters and throughout the volume again, this the relation, the relational construction of problematic whiteness as opposed to or in relation to good forms of whiteness. So she's looking at the at how that works through kind of uh, different colonialities and caste, the notion of caste in particular. Then we've got Good Sweden um, from Tobias Hubine. Um, transracial adoption and the construction of Swedish whiteness and white anti-racism. And again, this chapter helps to situate how coloniality works within the Nordic and in particular within the Swedish context. And again, there is this construction of a particular sort of whiteness, Swedish whiteness, as being fantasised as a, a, a less problematic, anti-racist even form of national whiteness. And what Hubinay does is deconstruct that through a 
an analysis of um, tra the transracial adoption practices and within the context of Sweden. We've got Yusuko Tak Takizawa, who we've, whose work we've all already talked about, Japanese modernization and self-construction between white and yellow. And we talked again about these different colonial contexts that um, that produce or that bring different national contexts into the construction of whiteness and a particular sort of whiteness. And so she's looking historically at how that works in the context of Japan. The evolution of whiteness in Zimbabwe, any white will do. I love this title. This is Rory Pilosov, um, who's based at Free State, but who works on Zimbabwe. So he is looking at that very interesting context um, sitting right next next to South Africa in and and actually the relationship between those two um, settler contexts in the context of the broader African kind of content. So we get a different sense of how whiteness is again and different manifestations of colonization actually um, have historical and material imprints on the way whiteness is lived in the present and the relationship between countries within the African continent actually and um, I suppose. So yeah that's the final chapter in that section so over to you Christy, intersectionalities. Yeah so it's the intersectionality section is basically where we go and turn towards the lived ways in which the differences are intersectionally mobilized to advance or to resist whiteness. So here we are interested in, in both normative and non-normative positionalities. It is about understanding whiteness as not monolithic. This handbook does move from an anti-essentialist stance. So in a way, it would actually be better to speak of whitenesses in the plural. And when you look at, at, um, at intersectionalities, you really get a strong sense, actually, of, of how whiteness can be mobilised in different ways by the groupings that are quite differently situated. So uh, briefly, we are looking at competing settler masculinities in South Africa, the white English-speaking South African identity in competition with the Afrikaner identity. Then we move to the Caribbean, where we look at heterosexual white women in interaction with, with black men. And we look at the whole question of, of sex tourism and how that may actually reinforce unequal racial power structures. From there, we move on to looking at gay white men in South Africa, the, year, the whole question actually of the global gay comes to the fore and the contradictory position that's, that particularly gay white men hold in relation to mm. heteronormativity. And then in our final chapter, we look at how class is being used opportunistically by British political elites. And our authors here are uh, Theo Sonicus on uh, South Africa, then Katerina Delihovsky uh, from Canada looking at the Caribbean, Lawanda Scott from South Africa uh, looking at gay white males, Nima Begum, Aurelian Mondon and Aaron Winter writing for us and, and making sense of the, the phenomenon of voters who supported Brexit and Trump, the whole notion of the white working class and how political elites are actually using and abusing notions of the white working class to advance a white supremacist agenda. So, gosh, it is a tome. When you start describing it, <laughs> it's a tome. So part five brings us to governmentalities, which is very much rooted in my own background, thinking about state practices, but also expanding our understanding of how we are governed. So there's aspects of a kind of Foucauldian 
framing there but with all sorts of other things <laughs> added into the mix so we are thinking about state practices but we're interested in thinking about the way in which governing practices extend to bodily practices the practices of homemaking indeed to the practices of charities we've got a great chapter from jamie willier and Brittany aronson bleeding through the band-aid which looks at the white savior industrial complex as a broader set of political kind of practices and what we're interested in doing really is understanding the ways in which whiteness actually constitutes all those governmental frames and the complexities of how that works in the context of the state and through the state but also through our everyday kind of intimacies which may catch and be part of the state or these governing processes may be less formalized and actually part of the informalization of how governing processes works is through whiteness so we've got um amrita Pandey also talking about assisted reproduction and assisted whiteness and that's very interesting in terms of its global reach again the analysis of the movement of people from the global north coming to and engaging with the global south as a way of accessing fertility services and how that actually is part of the globalization of whiteness through the fertility choices that those people have engaged in. So there's something about bodies there. Georgie Wemis's work on British Indian seafarers, on bordering practices, again, hugely global in that analysis and looking at a group of people that in the English-British context we know relatively or we talk relatively little about. So we think about migration post-war in the context of the Windrush generation, but we don't talk so much about this group of British Indian seafarers. So she, she talks about this group of people and the way in which whiteness frames their material and cultural and affective experiences actually of work and the violence actually of that. Then we've got Sarah Hines, Making Yourself at Home, who looks at the idea of the home and how that works globally. Again, it's a very global chapter, actually. A lot of the chapters move across contexts again, as we've already mentioned. That happens a lot. Jamie Willier and Brittany Aronson around this, the white saviour industrial complex, a really hot topic at the moment, has been for the last few years. The context of all the scandals around Oxfam and the like, but also more generally this notion of a, an industrial complex of whiteness. And then Javeria Khadija Shah, we've already talked a little bit about um, Javeria's chapter, an ecological exploration of whiteness using imperial hegemony and racial socialisation to examine lived experiences and social performativity of melanated communities. And what Javeria is doing with that chapter is really exploring the systematisation of whiteness on multiple different levels in the um, British context. And we haven't got many chapters on that context, actually, for quite deliberate reasons, because we were trying to expand the location of our writing and, and the writing on whiteness. So finally, Christy, over to the really exciting <laughs> super section provocations yes yeah my idea with, with provocations was basically to bring to the fore various various controversies that have arisen even in the short period of time that this field has been in, in existence and this includes questions about whether the the field itself should actually even exist 
and uh, and some people also arguing that whiteness studies in itself is just a ruse really for white people to recenter themselves. So it has been a very lively intellectual space and we wanted to confront that, bring that to the fore rather than avoid uh, or, or pretend that that's not the case because we think it can be a productive, intellectually productive space to actually really uh, frankly engage with, with these kinds of questions. We've got Zimbabwean scholar Bernard Matulino who's a philosopher and he's looking at the whole question of African philosophy and how Western epistemology has formed quite a, a central position in African philosophy, but that you have this paradoxical cycle of protest in thinking against whiteness as expressed in, in African philosophy. So uh, a very, very interesting chapter that, that comes in a way that I haven't actually seen before. Then we've got Amanpreet Aluvalio, who's based in, in Britain, and she's really taking on normative critical whiteness studies, particularly around people who are racialized as other to whiteness and their experience in spaces, even with white people who say that they are pursuing the ideals and the, and the values and principles of normative critical whiteness studies. Then we have Samantha Weiss, who goes to the, the, the question of white subjectivity and particularly a white subject in pursuit of, of an ethics of integrity, but finding that if you confront white privilege as a white subject, it may have repercussions in terms of your material positionality, for example, and so forth, that you will have to balance out and, and how to go about that. Then Philip W. Gray on the alt-right, which has been a, quite a, a clever development, one could say, in, in far-right politics. Basically, a kind of politics that, that works through appropriation. So he, he looks at how the alt-right has given whiteness a new lease on life, using particularly intersectionality, which is something that's associated, of course, with feminist, and particularly black feminist politics, but a very uh, ingenious uh, reworking to bolster whiteness, uh, which brings us then to Colleen E. Boucher and Cheryl uh, E. Matthias's chapter on what they call emboldened whiteness. And this really brings us to this particular historical moment where we are seeing through the, the rise in uh, neo-fascism, uh, the, the rise in racial populisms, very aggressive forms of uh, white nationalism and so forth, we are seeing this, uh, what Boucher and Matthias here calls emboldened whiteness. And this is a strand that runs also back through the, the handbook to other chapters where we're also trying to particularly make sense of how the radical right are repositioning themselves now, both in reaction to neoliberalism on the one hand, but also in reaction to uh, the anti-racist uh, struggles of the past several centuries. That's, I think, all from us. I'm very excited uh, that we will be launching our handbook well, beginning of next year, but it will be available from the end of, of December. The date of publication is 21st of December. So, so we're almost there, Shona. And um, it's been a wonderful process. And I've really enjoyed working with you on yes. this and with our wonderful authors. And, and we, we are going to use this as an opportunity to further engage uh, and bring people in conversation further across many different locations across the world. Thanks very much, Christy. Yes, great talking to you. Great working with you also. Really enjoyed that. Um, very important, I think, also for folks in the global north 
to be able to really start thinking about how the debates between the North and the South can produce really interesting and important scholarship which helps the North and the South understand themselves better. So thinking back to one of the kind of rallying cries that we talk about in our introduction, this notion that that anti-racist movements used in the 1980s, we're here because you were there. And of course, that talks about um, the relationship of coloniality between you know global colonization movements of people and then the situations that we're living in now as a result of those things the beckett talk podcasts are released every tuesday so don't forget to check our social media channels on instagram twitter or facebook to find out more details on our next episode see you next week